to turn in your Bibles to the second chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 2. I really enjoyed the soloist this morning. A lot prettier than when Bob Wolf's up here, I'll tell you that much. It is, uh, it's hard not to lose wonder of this story. Year after year, we try to, or I try to come up with different ways of saying basically the same things, but it's, it's, it's not easy to lose the wonder of the story because the story isn't wonderful. It's because we just, as human beings, lose the ability to adequately describe it. I mean, that we run out of words. And the more that you meditate on it, the less routine it all becomes. What Christmas remembers and celebrates, beloved, is absolutely amazing. In his Advent devotional, O Come, Let Us Adore Him, the Bible's words, Paul Tripp uh, has helped me this year find some new words for this season, words of adoration. We don't want to lose the wonder of this story. We don't want to stop marveling at it. And again, I want to stress it isn't because the story has a tendency to get old. It's because our hearts have a tendency to lose their ability to behold wonder. It's beyond the scope of normal reasoning. What we're talking about, what we're celebrating this year, it didn't begin. The story didn't begin when Mary got pregnant. It didn't begin when the prophets foretold it. It didn't even begin when Adam fell in the garden. It only could have come from the mind of Almighty God in eternity past, in a place our minds literally cannot even go. Before the foundations of the earth were ever laid by God's Almighty hand, this story that screams of the power of that hand began in the depths of His divine imagination. It's a completely otherworldly story, but it happened in this world in real time and in real history. The story as it stands in and of itself is an argument for the existence of God. Who could have created such a story? There's no clearer picture in the universe, in the cosmos of who God is than the story of Jesus Christ. Even though what we had earned as human beings everywhere at all times, without exception, was God's wrath, The angels proclaimed that the everlasting Father had come not to destroy us, but to intervene with mercy to save sinners by His redeeming grace. Let me pray and we'll begin. Father, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank You for the Word that by the power and inspiration and authority of Your Holy Spirit proclaims Him to us. Father, I ask that You would please watch over my mind And therefore, my mouth, as I speak this morning, Father, keep me focused on Christ. Keep me focused on the things this passage declares. And Lord, please help everyone that's in this room hear it and understand and believe. Lord, we need a miracle to happen in us for that to take place. And so, Father, for anything good that is to come of this, we are completely dependent on you. And Father, we ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me just read verses 13 and 14 to start with from Luke chapter 2. And suddenly, 
There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. What was so exciting? Of all the things that could happen, what was so great as to basically empty heaven of its host, but then was so apparently unimportant that you just proclaim it to a group of shepherds out in a field doing their work? Everything about the Christmas story tells us something about who God is, what he's like, how he means to save us, and who he means to save. The story itself is salvation. God's beautiful creation was broken. It was groaning for relief, both nature, human beings. This was the result of our rebellion, the ones God had made in his image rebelled against him, even though he placed his love and his provision on them. They turned on him. We in Adam turned on him because we wanted to rule ourselves. That's at the essence of all sinfulness. The evidence of this brokenness, the curse that it brought, was everywhere in the world, always has been, from inside of us and in our own hearts and what we struggle with there, to violence and corrupt governments and famine and plagues and diseases and war in the world at large. There's still beauty on the earth. Absolutely. God made it. The image is in us, but it's marred. But the world was groaning under the weight of its own brokenness. And what could God have done? He could have stayed distant. Absolutely. He could have left us to ourselves. He could have done that. He could have left us in our state broken. He could have let us groan and chose not to hear it. It would have been a justifiable response to our arrogant rebellion against them. We did this to ourselves, right? Let them clean up their own mess. God absolutely in holiness and in righteousness could have made that call and chose to do nothing. But why are we here this morning? Why are we here this morning? Why do churches even exist? Why are there people anywhere in the world that call themselves Christians? Why do some of us dare to hope that this world as it is will one day be undone and remade? Why? Because of what happened on the night we call Christmas that began in the mind and imagination of God before the world ever existed. One atom of it ever existed. Because in the most amazing display imaginable, of God's sovereign and unmerited grace, He looked on us sinners with mercy. It was a shock to the shepherds that night. It often still is and should always be to us when we hear it. Yet, yes, God acted decisively. God acted amazingly. But this was what He had planned to do from the very beginning. The God who knew we would fall is the same God who planned our salvation. We were created to be rescued. Beloved, we were created for God to come and intervene. His ultimate response to our rebellion wasn't immediate condemnation, judgment. All right, never mind. Throw the earth away. The first two people I make have blown it. It wasn't a meeting out of His justice, beloved. It was intervention and rescue. God would do by His grace... What the law he gave to prove our sinful desperation could never do. And he would do by his grace what we could never do for ourselves. 
We don't get the fullest revelation of God through his law. We get the fullest revelation of God, the clearest through the gift of the son he sent to us. Romans 1, 16 and 17, the law of God, we have all broken, did not come with the power in it to make us obey it. All it does is accuse and kill us and destroy us. And as God intended, prove the depth of our sinfulness That if left to ourselves and to our own flesh and our own will and to our own best efforts to be good, even if we had all the instructions, we will remain condemned. We cannot get out of our own way. We can't work our way out of our condition. So if God doesn't intervene in mercy and not wrath, we are undone. But God meant to save us. He meant to save us. That's what lights and decorations are for. Even if people don't intend it, we celebrate because of God's grace. His heart, his will, his effort would not fail at accomplishing this purpose. God would do what the best philosophers, the best songwriters and authors and movie directors and producers couldn't dream up if they tried. He would do what the poet, the best poet, could never imagine. He would do something the angels can't even understand. Intervene to save us by grace from his own holiness and from our own sinfulness. He would come and do what had to be done. He would come and give what had to be given. This is Jesus for us. That would be another name for Christmas. Jesus for us. The heavenly host appeared because God was offering the only thing that could ever actually address the problem and meet the need that we had himself in the person of his son. By coming to earth in the belly of the Virgin Mary, by way of the Holy Spirit, being born into this world as a substitute for us to live the righteous life God required, to offer up the only offering that could satisfy a God so holy, Jesus Christ himself became the greatest, most costly, most valuable gift ever given to humankind. God took on human flesh not to come and destroy us on our own ground, but to invade this broken world with His grace, His wisdom, His power, His glory, and His love. He didn't have to come that way. And that's the way He came. The rightful King invaded, but He invaded to rescue His enemies. The King of all things, the Creator, the Lord Almighty, the only Sovereign, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant to live the perfect life on our behalf and grant that perfection as a gift through his sacrifice on the cross so that the very ones who had rebelled against God could be reconciled to God and made alive forever. And he would rise from the grave to conquer sin and death, to break the curse that has broken our world once and for all. The best part about Christmas is that Easter is coming. The birth of Jesus is all heaven's proclamation, all of heaven's proclamation together that God has intervened to save us, not through making us pay the price, not coming to exact payment from us, but by him paying the price himself. Jesus came. Jesus suffered every single day of his life living here, just being here, leaving heaven, coming to earth, limiting himself in the ways That he chose to hear. But that was his intention. God meant to identify with us completely in order to save us. 
experience everything we experience without ever sinning. So having the same temptations, the same trials, the same suffering that we would all go through, taking on all the excuses we might be able to use to say, God, you can't do this to us. It's so hard here. Jesus came and lived here as a human being. Right in the midst of our sin and our rebellion so that as a true human representative, as a true actual human representative, he could give to God what God created humans to give to him. And his offering was so great and so sufficient and so perfect that anyone who trusts in him will have it credited to their account as their righteousness, their sins forgiven and washed away. And Christmas means that partaking in all of this this is absolutely free for you and I. God does it, all of it. We simply look to Him right in the midst of our sin, right in the midst of our rebellion and our brokenness and say, I believe what you say, what you've done in your Son. Thank you, Lord God. I repent of my sins. I lay down my rebellion and I worship you. He extends his arms of forgiveness to every single person who seeks him. No exceptions. None. What we call Christmas is God affirming to the universe, to his enemies and to his friends. He will not relent in his plan to save people. He will not be stopped. He will not change his mind. He will not go back on his word. He will overcome whatever needs to be overcome. In order to save sinners. God isn't like us. This father isn't like the fathers we know. He stays with us until it's done. No matter how hard it gets. The holy God doesn't lose his temper with us. The holy God doesn't scream at his children. Unlike we human fathers tend to do. I know I do. Unfortunately. He doesn't. No matter how hard it gets, he stays. He stays. He doesn't change his mind. He will not be satisfied until sin and suffering are completely gone. And we are completely like him by beholding the son he sent. Dwelling with him forever, for eternity, in unity, in peace, and in harmony. God won't stop until all that is accomplished. And when Christ said it is finished at the cross, he was guaranteeing that God would accomplish this. We're celebrating another Christmas. We're ending another year to begin another new one. Should Christ tarry in a fallen and rebellious world that hates God? Why are we still here? Why is he still putting up with this? Because God is a relentless Savior. A relentless Savior. Who will gather in all he means to before he brings history to a close. So come, let us adore him. Adore him. Christ came to be adored Do you know that's basically what 2 Thessalonians tells us? That when he comes to be marveled at by the saints, 
Beloved, this is the highest calling of life. To adore Him. We were created to be loved by Him. To be redeemed by Him. What do we do in return? We adore Him for it. That's when a human being is right where a human being was created to be. In the midst of all our madness, in the midst of all our fallenness and our brokenness and our own struggles with sin. We are at peace with God when we are in adoration of Him through His Son by the power and the miracle working life of His Holy Spirit in us. No human being can write this story. No human being can write this story. This is a love that defies words, right? That goes beyond the imagination. This is an indescribable majesty. It is an incomprehensible mercy. The coming of Jesus into the world will not only transform and remake the cosmos one day, it is eternal in its effect and in its extent for us, for sinners that have been redeemed. On this night, the Messiah that the world was crying for, the Savior we needed, was Himself crying as a baby, a real baby, in Mary's arms. Jesus wasn't, I know I've probably mentioned this before, but at this moment, by God's power and the Holy Spirit, He was a baby. He's not in His mind going, now you know that I'm just crying because that's what babies do. No, He was a baby crying. The Savior we needed crying in a stable in the arms of a young Jewish lady. And one day, as a man, this baby would cry in torment on the cross so that you and I would one day have every tear wiped from our eyes. Every single last one of them for the last time. He came to suffer because He came to save. This is Jesus for us. A multitude of the heavenly host rejoiced because hope had finally come. But it does beg the question, doesn't it? Why tell just some shepherds out in a field? Why wouldn't you do this in the sky so that everybody could see it, not just these shepherds? Nothing about this story is accidental. Nothing. Including the ones to whom this was announced. Let me back up and begin at verse 8 and read down again to verse 14. And in the same region where all of this was happening, Jesus was being born. There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. They're just at work. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. That's what human beings would do in the presence of a God like this. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. Such good news of great joy from heaven itself about the coming of the Savior into the world. Wouldn't that be better shouted from you know, a, a palace or from mountaintops or something, maybe from Rome or some other great city in the world so that 
The intervention of God to redeem us was meant for sinners, beloved. And I don't mean that shepherds were sinners and in palaces they weren't. It was meant for those that would believe they needed it. And by appearing to common laborers, going about their work on just another day, God is telling us who this news is for and where it's meant to be proclaimed. Just in the middle of everyday life, God brings us good news of great joy that is for everyone. A Savior, a Savior has been born. God is telling us this is for all of us. To Him, we are all not just common laborers going about our business in the human sense. We're all sinners going about our business in the common sense who can do nothing good to merit God's grace. If we had the ability innately in us to do what God approves and what God accepts, then when the angels appear and the glory of God shines around us, there isn't great fear. Right? If, again, if you've done your work, you don't fear that the boss won't pay you. It's a problem if the boss doesn't pay you because you earned it. That's not what this is. You don't sing songs about this. Angels don't empty heaven for this. God isn't dividing humanity up into two classes here per se. It's not those who are worthy of hearing and those who are not. That's not what's happening here. It's, this is about need, not worth. He's showing us by appearing to shepherds that He really did come to redeem all of us. He's reminding us who we are and therefore who this invitation is for. As the prophet Isaiah says, as John tells us in Revelation, come you who have no money, come and buy, come and drink, come and eat without money and without price. That's the call of God. That's the summons. And that's a command. More than it's an invitation, it's a command. Come to Him. Come to Him. This news is not too great for shepherds to hear. Nor is it too unimportant that it isn't worth a king's time. It's that common shepherds represent physically what we all are spiritually in need of intervention from heaven. Having nothing to give and nothing to claim. And listen, that is where we all, if we don't have Christ as our Savior, stand this morning before Almighty God. We don't have what we need. We don't possess what we must. We can't do what we're commanded to. And what does God say looking at us having nothing? As that, with nothing, come to me. Come to me. We have nothing to give Him. Nothing we could work up or find or accomplish that would be worthy of the praise He is due. And rather than reject us for this, Rather than wash His hands of us, He comes to us for that very reason. To cure that very malady. Christmas is Jesus Christ saying to sinners, I will come to you. I will do the work. I will pay the price. I will meet the demand. I'm here to save you. Not to assist you. 
Take my hand and be saved. It's free, but not because it doesn't cost anything, but because I paid the price already. Believe in me and live. This is the gospel. It is for everyone in this room. The Christian needs it as much as the non-Christian needs it. Will you come to him? Because it's an invitation to come and adore. And you say, well, how can adoration be commanded? Wait until you see him. Wait until you see him. This isn't God trying to coax you and get you to buy this idea that his son is magnificent. Just come and behold Jesus Christ. Adore him. Adore him, saints. Adore him, sinners. God is glorified when we embrace his son as our savior. Embracing Jesus as my Savior, believing on Him, is agreeing with God that that's what I need to be saved. It is the most holy thing a human being can do. And you can do it at work. You can do it at home. You can do it in this room. You can come forward in a few moments. But this is the summons and the invitation from heaven. It is a proclamation of salvation. It's not a challenge to live a certain way. We're not here because we've met the task. I'm not a preacher because I've met the task. I'm a herald. That's what I do. That's all I do. I'm a herald. That's it. You could replace me in a second because the story doesn't change. Christ is everything. It is for this that Jesus Christ is worthy of adoration. But when you see him, you won't want to do anything else but adore him. It's Christmas again. We celebrate this again. Come, let us adore Him. Even in the church, oh, come, let us adore Him. There wouldn't be any such thing as this. There wouldn't be any such thing as this family or of a believer if God didn't intervene in His Son, Jesus Christ. So let every heart prepare Him room. Come and behold Him. Would you stand, please? Before we take the Lord's Supper this morning, we're going to take a few moments to sing and to pray. I'm going to be down front here if there's anything I can help you pray with. If you've heard the summons of Christ, the command to repent and believe in the gospel, you're welcome to come. We'll pray. Very soon we'll baptize you. And it will be done because Christ has done it. But please remember that. It is a command. It's not a suggestion. We will all give an account for how we respond to this command. This matters more than anything. Because Jesus is worth more than everything.